Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's episode number 96 of the Audible Farm Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Couchtown Coffee. Couchtown Coffee is roasted right here in Iowa, and it is some of the freshest and best coffee I've ever had in my life. If you don't believe me, try it yourself. Go to www.couchtowncoffee.com. Make uh, an order there and save 20%. You can save 20% this week just because you listen to this podcast. And all you have to do is enter the code word rumors. The code word is rumors. So if you make an order, just mention the code word rumors to them and they will take 20% off your order because they love music. Uh, it's kind of crazy because the, uh, the owner of Couchtown is a musician himself. I did a podcast with him. You should check it out. So check it out. The code word this week is rumors. Why is the code word this week rumors? Because I'm sitting down with Stu Frondel. Stu is a guitarist in the rumors as well as about 900 other bands. No, that's not, that's not true, but it's close. Uh, he plays uh, guitar in the rumors and as well as Brotherhood of the Mudcat and uh, Pretty Dynamite and Space Virus. And I've actually played uh, while well, he's in another band called hack sabbath and and you know he's, that's one of the coolest things about him is he's just so busy with music he's in a bunch of different bands and he can lend his talents to different projects that span different styles of music and uh i sat down with him this week because the rumors are uh set to go out on tour uh in the next couple weeks so uh we talk about that a little bit in the podcast and i'll talk a little bit more about that in the outro but uh we go over all sorts of different things in this podcast, you know, as, as far as how he uh, formed some of his bands, joining up with the rumors, some of the crazy shows those guys have played, and uh, they got an album that came out this year. There's all sorts of stuff that's been happening, so it's it's pretty cool. We sit down and, and get to know what's going on in the world of Stu, so I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did. I've played shows uh, with Stu, uh, sharing the card with him in both the rumors and the space virus, and it's fun to see him play and, and fun to get to know those guys and and uh every one of his bands that i've seen has, has been dynamite so it's definitely worth checking out if he's coming to your neighborhood but hey this is episode number 96 with Stu frondel it's the audible farm podcast with your host peter stockdale So today I'm sitting down with Stu Frondel. Stu, I have actually seen you play live a handful of times with the Rumors, and even once with Space Virus, I was on a show with you, and it was pretty awesome. You guys put on a heck of a show in both camps. Oh wow! <laughs> Thank um, you, man. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm, I'm one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because you're, you're going to be going on tour here pretty soon, actually, with the Rumors, and that's. Uh, not a dinky little tour either. You're going. You're going to be going some places, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a whole lot of list on there. I, I've been checking this out. You know, past couple of days too. Just been looking at everything that's going on in the world, and yeah, it's it's really interesting right now to be taking that kind of proclamation in your hands. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's it's crazy too, because I mean, you guys have gone on other tours before, though, have you not? Oh yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of this stuff behind the scenes you know we, we have to plan these things out for a couple months ahead of time so it's no it's no small feat especially this time of year you know yeah definitely oh yeah and i mean this year has probably been just as hectic whether or not did you guys end up having to cut off some of your tour dates um like early earlier on like in the june and 
area like that or was or was most oh, of your yeah, guitars you know th- there was a couple of times we went back and forth you know and I, I can't always discuss which ones are going to happen or when they're going to happen at the end of the day you know because there's 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 certain issues you know that that come into play because of the coronavirus and other you know liabilities there you know i, I i've worried about that here and there just about going on the road during this time you know and seeing some other places get shut down for a small period of time and then reopening quickly, you know? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's just kind of a different era than it used to be. I mean, I think using some of these tour dates as a, you know, a way to promote ourselves again, though, is smart because there's, there's a lot of things out there still, you know, that aren't, um, right on the map, you know, yeah, that are having issues that are, uh, you know, more economic than this virus. I, I think in some regards, we're just dealing with a double-edged sword, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's this weird thing where it's like, if if you guys don't go out there, there's nothing to be had just sitting around here, in a sense, you know? Plus, there's not very many bands out there, you know, entertaining people right now. It's just... Um, I mean, there are, but it's still kind of up to some of the bands don't really want to go out and play and some of the bars only want to have one band a night now, you know, so a lot of things Mm -hmm. are changing. So, I mean, I guess if you can go out there and play, why not go out there and play? I mean, there there are some liabilities there, though, and I I think as the weeks go on here, we we may reschedule, we may look at other things, but we're always open to change, you know. That's that's, at the end of the day, we're, we're very optimistic people, but we're not... Uh, we're not just going to run out there if, if it's not looking good, you know? Yeah, definitely. So I, I, I don't ever hold that back personally. I, I don't know. I, I don't speak for every member of the band with that either. Um, but I think it's just, it's just such an odd time right now and we're all facing new decisions every day. So we have to kind of throw out the history book for a minute. You know, I, I don't know what else to tell people sometimes about it. Cause it, it's kind of an odd issue, you know? Yeah. It's I mean, not, it's not, it's not a horrible 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 place to be though to have a decision to make you know um i'm very fortunate some people don't have that decision yeah definitely i mean i mean the best part about this is like you said you're still open-minded to everything so even if this tour maybe a handful of the dates don't happen like it still might end up happening later in the year or next year because like we said this is not the first time the rumors have uh you know went on a tour that's this extensive Right, you know, and if it's just safer to push things back a couple weeks, you know, a couple months, I would rather be flexible with the venues in that regard. But we're walking straight into this uptick, you know. I haven't, I haven't seen anything like this in my lifetime. I don't think you have either. Oh, definitely not. It's it's pretty wild. I mean, I haven't been playing too much music, only like three or four years worth live, but it's still pretty wild to be like everything's wide open then all of a sudden it just bottlenecks and shuts off for like half a year and it's it's been pretty weird like even trying to have a podcast to talk to people because it's like well are you nobody's playing shows so what else is everybody up to you know and it's it's kind of a weird one it's weird one for bands or all entertainers or bar owners or i guess just pretty much anyone because we're all affected by this I've, i've just been kind of creating lately i've been uh recording some solo stuff even that no one's ever heard you know and just trying to keep those creative juices going because i think that's the hardest thing is you just start to rust you feel like the stagnation starts to weigh down you're like man it's been how many months five months you know wow you know 
Yeah, I mean, some of my buddies are playing. Go for it. I think Alice Cooper said something recently about how he liked having this forcification after all those years of doing this. I thought that was kind of bizarre. I think that was one of the the weirdest quotes I've heard recently. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see where he would think that way, but he's also made millions, and there's people that are still trying to make their money and (laughs) that can't. Yeah, 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 it's it's an odd... It's an odd predicament. Yeah, definitely. Um, the rumors actually had a an album come out earlier this year, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's been sitting around for a little while. Yeah, we 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 recorded that about a year straight. On that, that, that that's our new album called "Suck It." Yep, which is a great title. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, it makes me feel like you know I'm watching professional wrestling in the late '90s. You know, now that you talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's uh, it's cool though. Like I love seeing bands like yours come out with albums, and I mean, I I think there's something to be said about recording literally anything with a band and coming up with anything, uh, let alone having enough material and concept to make a whole album out of it. It's uh, it's pretty wild. It's something that's kind of neat. It like solidifies it in history as if it's it's permanently there. And uh, you guys have have more than one recording that is actually available um online at least to buy or stream in in most places yeah yeah it's all available on all platforms you know uh hot bang from our prior release but you know this is just taking that whole style up to another taking it to 11 so to speak really yeah definitely how how long have the rumors been playing Oh, it's been about four and five years now. I mean, it feels like maybe longer than that i don't i don't keep track of dates somebody (laughs) out there knows the exact point in time but uh yeah we just we just been doing stuff lately you know like when i first joined up there was it was crazy they were already playing like hairball they were they were doing things like i was like dreaming of you know and i'm like how did these two chicks do that you know and it just totally blew me away yeah i mean definitely so you weren't involved in the band when it first started well there was there was a female drummer and then there was two other guys in the band and that was like the first lineup way back in high school Oh, nice uh, for for Carly Fox and them, and they were playing talent shows and stuff, and they're playing hairball, and they were they were doing things, you know. And uh, at the end of the day, it ended up coming around that somebody else wasn't in the band anymore. They wanted to get another guitar player, another bass player. So me and Arnella came into the fold, and then later we got Daniel. Uh, a couple months later, after that, we had played with uh, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts before D- Daniel was in the band. That we had another drummer before named Jeff, and. Uh, you know, it's just a really, really cool thing when you can see a, a a group sustain that level of success through different lineups. You know, you know, there's something else cooking there. You know. Yeah, definitely. It's it's bigger than, uh, generally speaking, it's bigger than any one person in the band at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's something I noticed about it. Like for sure, the first the first whiff, I was like, man, there's something in here. There's like nitro in the tank. You know, it just uh, yeah, it gets up and goes. You know, you don't have to. You know, just fiddle around. It's just like an old Corvette or something. You know what I mean? It just it just happens. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the crowd definitely seems to take to that. Every time I've seen you live, um, I've seen you uh, in like a small full of hand, um, like Des Moines, Des Moines area bars and stuff like that. And it uh, d- doesn't matter how big or small the place is. You guys play like it's huge and it's packed every single time. Yeah, there's like some kind of... Um, throwback mentality too like you know like these big old arena shows used to go to and everybody was just hanging out and talking about stuff i don't know we, we don't have such a 
um, a chip on our shoulders about going out and hanging out with people, you know, and that, that's the hardest thing. Like right now with this COVID, you can't socialize, you can't be wherever you want to be. But, you know, that was where we, uh, we always would go out and have a c- cigarette and talk about liner notes with people or something, you know, just, just hang out and have a beer, you know, totally be off the wall with people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's really cool to see you guys come out and play live because it's not, a gimmick by any means to say that you're just a female fronted band um it's 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 real music it's it's we, we it, just encourage it yeah you know we, we we love everything about everybody you know we don't want to censor the female voice at all we want we want that to be the forefront of our distinction you know i think that's great yeah i yeah. think there's there's been a lot of bands in the past that were too afraid to even like allow some of that uh to sneak through i mean we've had blondie we've had joan jett we've had we've had a lot of it come to to the fore in the past 20 30 years of like pop culture that came by and then it felt like maybe like when the music genres themselves started to walk more in that kind of whole direction and you know everything was very pro-feminine for a minute there yeah and then i don't i don't know i think after like 2001 after 9 11 i think there was a little more censorship that we, we ran into maybe you know or I, I don't know exactly how you want to put it but i think politics influenced our amount of freedom sometimes you know as as artists you know there were there was a point where like the dixie chicks were getting you know frowned upon by the bush administration yeah some of that stuff gets kind of walked over over the years we don't really think about that today we're thinking about what trump said or tweeted or whatever but you know there's just times where creativity gets uh politically stifled whether you like it or not you know yeah definitely um i mean do you think there's any of that that's going on in today's musical scene at all um as far as like stifling of people's creative abilities because i feel like right now if you um still see there's still a lot of people out there creating things uh and i think that regardless of you know uh, the obvious downfalls of of the pandemic the benefit has been that people are that create things have been sitting at home still creating things yeah i think a lot of creative entities know when not to play that politics too of, of how to kind of i don't know at least be able to walk away from it for a minute and be able to go back to what you started with go back to your roots you know yeah I think some of it might be like a low hanging fruit type deal where like some people that are artists don't want to go after that um, obvious thing where it's like, well, I could, you know, sing a song about Trump, but, you know, everyone, you know, it's, it's like a tired joke. It's one that everyone could think of, you know. Right. It's it's like you're going to divide your you're going to have your Packers fans and your Chicago Cubs fans and you're going to put them against each other every night. And, you know, that that's fine for sports casting but it doesn't work in music the same way oh that's brilliant think, that's, that's a great analogy man like it's it's like saying what team do you root for and it's like well we're packers fans and then when the packers fans are like woo, and all of a sudden you're like no we're bears fans and then well, like, Boo. the kiss army you know yeah it just doesn't work the same way you know and I, I think people lose their integrity along the way when they inherently love a band you know and you can't i don't think you can hate ted nugent for instance because of the great white the buffalo riff you know i don't think that, that those two things have anything in common with each other and you can have two different opinions about them that's true I, I, I get i get locked away on these these chats with people you know online like anybody and i see these constant back and forth and I, it's just it's to me it seems like a lot of wasted breath 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's like you said, you can't really blanket statement one thing entirely because like the Ted Nugent one would be a good argument where like I like to go to jam nights and I, I like to play Ted Nugent songs because they're relatively, I wouldn't say easy, but they're easier and easy to jam out and solo to and stuff. But like they're classics and, and everybody knows them. And yeah, yeah. He, he didn't even sing on Stranglehold and like nobody knows this thing, man. But like he, that song was written by almost like a whole other entity and then. He kind of became famous with Stranglehold, you know. Yeah, yeah. But he's only playing. He's only playing guitar on it. Yeah, and just I mean, that's the one thing you can like somebody's art, but dislike their politics. And I feel like that's a dichotomy that's not being represented very well. But uh, I mean, this isn't necessarily a, a political podcast, though. So, <laughs> so maybe. Oh man, there's so many avenues for success out there. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of different avenues, let's let's take a detour from the rumors and talk a little bit about Space Virus. I saw you guys play at a show once. Uh, we were on the bill, and it was it was insane. You guys you got masks, you got smoke machines, you got lights. It's it's insane. You guys still doing the whole the whole gambit? Yeah, yeah. We've added a couple TV screens actually. Uh, what? <laughs> Holy cow! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've got a whole whole uh, set of like ephemeral footage from the '50s and like a lot of like really horrible things and uh, old '90s like horror movie looking stuff. Um, you know, some of it just sampled from like uh, you know I don't know. There's like this old Discovery uh, Channel like Lifetime TV movie kind of thing. And uh, it's like the end of days or something, and something's like getting nuked or something, and it's oh, yeah. really bad, bad '90s effect for like when the nuke hit, and like people were like turning into like static or something. I don't know. So we'll we'll find those those really obscure clips like that, and we'll find ways to like put them into the show. You know, it's just this really cool uh, kind of throwback thing that we we started doing one day, and I I don't know, I found just a couple hundred different ones online and started just syncing it up to the show, and I was like, this is so different. And so visual, you know, uh, we got to throw it in, you know. And so then it just became part of this what if machine, you know. Yeah. Uh, that How? Space Virus has also been like the, the band in a couple places. We got kicked out in Chicago. You know, there was just a whole lot of really weird times with this band that uh, kind of f- fueled me making these different uh, live effects, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. And want to kind of explore that, uh, but I mean, Space Virus hasn't been able to get together as much right now with all this pandemic, which is you know, a real irony that the virus band you know can't do what it wants to do. So as, I don't know, man. As as the rumors would be described as like a rock and roll classic rock somewhere in the '80s hair metal ish almost. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of like the blues Rocky. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect mix of that eighties awesomeness. How would you describe space virus? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so much more like, um, that nineties, uh, heavy, heavy thing. Like we had with Rob zombie, Marilyn Manson, uh, a little bit of ministry in there for sure. Um, there's a, so many cool, different, like heavy, heavy heavy bands that came out of the 90s like Fu Manchu and Electric Wizard and Sleep and things that I was influenced by too that I didn't necessarily get to like just throw down on you know in an 80s rock and roll band so for me it was more of a musical outlet for me to go kind of like what did I actually grow up listening to a lot of you know this this and this 
um, and you know maybe explore that with somebody else that has different influences. Like my lead vocalist, dude, like he plays in a Misery Machine, which is a Marilyn Manson tribute band. Oh, he looks cool. almost identical to Brian Warner. So nice. we, we definitely draw on this kind of like stoic, dark atmosphere that not a lot of other groups are, are you know, going to go out there and proclaim, you know, some of these like visual things we're using and different, just really, really, really heavy, heavy, uh, scary things like Stuxnet and, uh, you know, the end of days, <laughs> biblical prophecies turning into like computer viruses. I don't know. We, we just like. We come up with all these bizarre heavy metal things, you know, in our heads all the time. There's movies like uh, this old 80s thrasher movie. It's like uh, Chopping Mall. Some of these robots that go through and just murder everybody in this mall. You know, it just says, <laughs> it, it matches up with some of these horrible headlines, as funny as it is. You say Chopping chopping Mall? Chopping Mall, yeah. Look it up sometime. <laughs> I'm going to have to, I'm writing it down. <laughs> I've, I've watched it about a thousand times during quarantine, so... <laughs> it may be on our next maybe on our next album oh gosh that's insane that's uh that's really funny though like uh i think the coolest thing here is the fact that you can you have musical talents that you can lend to two completely different projects all together and still oh, yeah maintain yeah, both I, of them i've got a whole lot of projects back in my, my, my hometown i'll just hit people up all the time I'm, I'm not definitely not doing just one band at any any length of time i i try to create almost at, at the height of it, I was actually doing four or five rehearsals a week. Oh wow! Um, between various tribute bands and things, it was just a a big outlet for me to stay positive, and uh, I really enjoyed it, you know, for a long time. But you know, some people get burned out doing that, so yeah, I can see not, not wanting to be a part of so many things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, my you know, I think everyone's life has, but like, it's one of those things where. It, sometimes you're not that busy and you're like, well, I'm going to start getting busy. And then you just get really busy. And before you know it, you're looking around and you're like, man, I am really busy. And then you're just like, I'm going to tone it down a notch, you know? And it's, it's uh, just one of those things. I feel like once you kind of get ramped up in something, it can, it can take yeah. over before you even know it. Especially with a wife and a two year old, you know, you can't be like, Hey, Oh, I remember you. you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> you got to keep everybody on the same radar. So yeah, it's a lot of balance, but they love what I do and I love what I do. So we we all have made concessions to make it work. That's awesome, man. Uh, speaking of family, your brother plays with you in uh, Space Virus, correct? Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of like their little Van Halen thing, you know, with the brother guitar player lineup. <laughs> that's awesome. How, did he like he plays drums? You play guitar. Have you guys always played that and like grew up together playing drums and guitar? Or how did that work? Yeah, actually, that was kind of how it started. I, I started with uh, the bass guitar, and it was all just low end and sound, and you know, I wasn't any good at the bass, so. <laughs> I jumped to guitar eventually, and uh, but yeah, he always had the drums laying around, and I was like, yeah, just let's let's mess around out in the basement for a bit, you know, and see what we come up with, and yeah, that was cool growing up to have that, you know, not not many kids get to just go down and jam with their brother every day. Did you guys take lessons to get better, or did you learn in school, or how did that all come about? Well, I used to get lectured by the band teacher, and. Uh, She's like, why don't you take your trumpet home with you? You'll, you don't practice and all this stuff. And <laughs> it just never really seemed like my thing. You know, I was kind of anti, I think anti-discipline at that age. I just didn't really think, well, what's the point? You know, I'm going to go home and play trumpet to my parents. That's not going to really go over, you know? Yeah. 
<laughs> do it at four or five in the morning, wake up the neighbors. You know, they just there was no practical use for a trumpet. So I think that's what lacked its manifest destiny. But then becoming like uh, a bass player was like an idea that I had because like it seems like you can never find a bass player or a drummer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I just remember that as a kid even thinking, I'm like, you know, like I see all these people that are like, yeah, we, we, we'd have a band, but we don't have X or Y, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm like, how can I fix this equation, you know? So we would just jam out because we couldn't find the other two people either, you know? So <laughs> it's so kind of like a white, the white stripes kind of thing, you know? It was, well, we got two people. Let's see where we can go. <laughs> you had like the reverse issue most people had where you had a you had a bassist and a drummer but you couldn't find anybody else. That's that's pretty insane. But then I, I, I really wanted the like the guitar all of a sudden. Like there was all these fuzz sounds and the first Black Sabbath album and just things that I'd heard at that, that point in my life. I was like fifteen or so and I was like, you know, this is great, but I could do more. Like there's more stuff I can mess with and I never looked back. I really have. I mean, I, I I play everything in the studio here and there, but I, I don't I don't really jump on the drums much. Uh, but I, I I can play anything. You know, now it seems I can play that. I was playing the Star Spangled Banner last night. You know, on the Fourth of July. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure my neighbors loved it. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> I just never uh, I never really kind of stopped after I switched to guitar. I guess so. I think that that was the best the best thing that we gave to each other because now he's still playing drums. You know, and We've got two or three other little groups that we play around in, you know, that we're, we're able to explore this this fun thing called music. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I think having a sibling that plays music would be an amazing thing to have. It would be so fun to be able to connect with somebody on that deeper level than just, you know, just conversation. You know, it, it's great and all, and as, as philosophical as it can be, it turns into that snowball fight in the backyard, though, with your, <laughs> your sibling where... <laughs> Somebody threw the ice ball, and you don't want to. You don't want to name names. Mom and dad know you're both mad. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Won't talk at dinner. <laughs> There's moments of that too. So, yeah, it's like any relationship. You have to have to take the good with the bad and uh, make something of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's pretty sweet. I mean, my sister plays piano and like saxophone and things like that. But once once again, it's a common application. It's not easy always to mix instruments together especially like if you grew up playing you you grew up playing the trumpet so did i but it's it's not like my sister and i are gonna rock a trumpet sax duet well see i was playing flute before that but they, they were making fun of me so bad that like i couldn't take it like i was getting hazed every day by these like band kids <laughs> you know come on what the hell <laughs> oh man and that's that's the other thing like the, the older reeds and sticks you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> The older I got, the more I wanted to learn how to play every instrument, though. It's like, it would be neat to know how to play a flute, you know, if somebody just walked up and it's like, here's a flute. And you're like, yeah. all right, I can honk something out on this, you know? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was where I was at when I was younger. I think it was like The Legend of Zelda or something. I heard like those ocarina songs and I was like, sounds like a flute. Sure, whatever. You know, I just like, I had to pick an instrument. And I'm like, well, everybody else is doing all these cool, loud things. I wanted something that was more like that leads like tone. You know, I think in my head, I was still listening to all, all these different leads like sweet child of mine or something you know it just it's in that same kind of fluty register you know i think some people are just wired to that yeah like you'll see it in, in, in certain people that are drummers that don't know it they'll just be tapping on school desks all day yeah and you're like man that, that guy's a drummer he doesn't know it he doesn't know it yet yeah and the world needs more drummers so call those people out <laughs> <laughs> yeah get them over here 
Oh man, you know that that is true though. Like you can tell a lot about uh, somebody's personality by whether or not they played an instrument in school and what instrument they played. Because I mean, you'll see a lot of trumpet players that are guitar players because they want to be you know loud and, and in your face. And yeah, yeah. Um, I I do like the parallel you drew between the flute though and like Sweet Child of Mine, where like the tones are a little bit more comparable because like the to- the tone of like the flute is like kind of has a little bit of punctuation but it's also like very warm and airy yeah yeah it's just a certain like vibe that things have in the world and uh i visited paisley park this year believe it or not in 2020 (laughs) in february i was like uh just to be in those rooms and be around that equipment they played us uh this piece of music that prince had that no one had ever heard that was never released and you could only hear it by being on the on the tour in that room. Oh wow! So I, I, you you can't look it up. Like if if I told you to go look it up right now, you can't hear this. Oh, that's so it's crazy. Like Prince singing into a microphone, in a saxophone, into guitar pedals, into the board, <laughs> and it it sounds like nothing I've ever heard. Like I've heard so many moves and pedals, and you look up the earthquake device of the day and i could probably tell you exactly what the color it is and everything you know i love the sound of all these different pedals and things that are out there you know so i'm always like blown away when i I've, i hear something i've never heard before like this but i, I don't know if, if there's anywhere you can look it up but they told us on, on the tour that they, they took everybody's phone and put them in lead cases after we turned them off oh wow <laughs> and yeah they, they, there's a little like uh clip thing in it so you couldn't take it apart on the tour because mm-hmm. they didn't want anybody taking photography of like his kitchen and like where he slept and places. I don't know. We didn't take the full tour. We only took a certain amount of it. You know, and you could be there for days. It's a huge complex. But uh, yeah, just just to see what influenced those people for like 20 minutes of your time was like, wow. And to be sitting in Studio A listening to it through his monitors is like. I mean, how how ineffable of a conversation is that? You know, that's pretty wild. I mean, it's it's also neat that you enjoy, uh, like you said, the different tones that can come out of things. Because, I mean, we don't talk too much about gear on here, but I also do love gear just as much as the next guy. So I will entertain the conversation. Um, I mean, the, obviously. Sometimes you just get a handful of pedals and you're like, what do these do? Or you start to find things that are in a certain area and you're like, what other pedals are kind of like this, but also incorporate some of this into it, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's just, this like a sonic exploration of, of being able to paint with different colors. You know, maybe you don't have that same fluorescent construction orange that you see on the side of the road every day. And when you get home and you have to paint it with this kind of muddy orange you have in your paint kit, you know, and it, it, it can be, frustrating as an artist not to be able to get those different colors and sounds exactly when you want them you know and i i i've managed for years to just like overcome some of those technological issues you know like to now where i have something that runs like a rack mount with an amp and pedals where you hit one switch and it you know changes the channel on all three things you know oh yeah yeah and and just those like synchronicities of music that people don't maybe understand that's how that sound that Prince has on Purple Rain works, you know, it doesn't seem inherent at first that he would need so many harmony things for like when the doves cry, you know, but you start putting these uh, pieces of equipment to sounds and you're like instantly inspired, you know? Yeah, you're definitely. Like, at least from their perspective, you can see why 
some of this would be more important, you know, <laughs> but some people, they don't, they don't care about the MIDI function of, you know, 90 year old rack gear. Yeah. <laughs> it just flies right over their head. True. You know, and that, that is one of the benefits of building a rack system. And I mean, I, I have one that I built just for the simple fact that I was intrigued by it and I wanted to see if I could set it all up to do that. And, and I did, which is cool. I, I just don't use it live. I probably should, but. See, in Space Virus, I found a way that I can uh, run some of the lights and video off of the same MIDI that I'm triggering things with. So I, I found some different integrities that, like, at first I'm like, I will never use this live. There's no reason. But then you get a hold of it, and you're like, yes, this is it. This is it. <laughs> That's cool. That's sweet. I've always wanted to try to figure some of that out because I know that some of that works with um, – certain well, different watch, rigs like tool or somebody they have this amazing live show you're like, how does that work you know and you really start to watch those rig rundown videos like, oh wow there's something going on here <laughs> yeah yeah it's really wild too like uh the first time i ever saw that like some bands play to a metronome and the metronome actually is synced up to computers that you know, like you said trigger the lights and everything else you know and it's like oh that's yeah. that's why they play <laughs> to the metronome because it syncs everything up perfectly and it removes some of the human error you're playing on a different chessboard at that point, you know? It's just oh, a totally t- different game. Yeah, I mean, that's chess while everyone else is playing checkers, for sure. <laughs> oh, man. So, like, what what was, like, your first pedal you got then? I was, maybe I'll ask you that. Wow. That's, man, that's been a long time ago. It was, um, I think it was two different pedals, I guess. One was digital. It was, like, an RP80 or something, which is, like, a digital multi-effect and yep. uh, none of them actually sound that different <laughs> but you can fool yourself for a while you're like oh hey i gotta practice amp so i don't really hear fidelity yeah i when i grew up see i had uh been playing the bass guitar so i traded off the bass and kept the amp so i had this big low end coming out of my stuff so like um i didn't realize most practice amps were garbage until i got much older <laughs> but this thing was actually pretty good sounding for what it was like a fender rumble or something you know? so I, I would plug that thing into it dude the fender fender rumbles were always pretty good i'm sure you got one of the older models that were heavy well it was like a rumble 30 it was like for like a the all-in-one starter model yep. so like you would get the little bass guitar with it and uh it's an off-white fender p bass and i remember just like thrashing that around for a couple weeks and got bored of it like the trumpet so i was like yeah next instrument <laughs> <laughs> so then i got this little orange uh, dod fuzz pedal too that i got that about that same time those were my first two pedals and i had an ibanez guitar it was like a kind of like a melody maker shape just kind of a big flat pancake sg mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah those things were great i don't know whatever happened to any of that stuff <laughs> <laughs> it's gone now somebody owns it uh you've always been one to like try out different gear uh i'm friends with you on facebook that's some of my funnest things i see you post is when you're just like oh i, I bought this thing and now i'm taking it apart and i'm and, I'm and now gonna, it's on fire <laughs> <laughs> and now we're gonna put it all back together and somehow it all almost always works it's pretty wild what got you started into that i had a friend growing up named cole and he was a circuit vendor uh and i think he did he was in the military possibly uh for a while and he just had a lot of these in, in, in really, really cool talents like that. Like, he would be able to, like, hey, check out this, take this part out of this walkie-talkie and this thing. And uh, he would always take Casio keyboards apart and circuit bend them. And that was, like, his favorite thing to do all the time. And so I was like, I got to try this circuit bending thing. 
this is something like not a lot of people are really into, but what you do is you just take an alligator clip and a nail or whatever that's conductive material and you just open up a children's toy. It's under nine volts. That's battery operated. It won't electrocute you. It won't hurt you. You can actually like, you can touch this stuff and like lick your hand and the conductivity changes and things. And you know, you just start learning about electricity on a much more primitive level. Oh, whoa. And then you just end up like, uh, you'll just connect like two or three parts of these chips together and it'll freak out and it'll sound like, a cardinal having a heart attack, you know. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> okay, what happens if I do this one? And if I put it on a knob and move this? And so uh, recently I took a, a little Casio keyboard and I just ended up spray painting it and doing one of these circuit bend rituals, you know, basically is what I call them. And uh, I got two or three different ones. I got like this uh, Japanese stylophone, which is uh, kind of like instead of having a musical keyboard, you use a pencil. Oh, like yeah, I think the, I've seen those. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like conductive, so it goes up and down Yeah, and pitch. And some of them will have like different resistors to determine that, but other ones will just be like a big rail. And it'll just draw up and down, and it gives it this big Pink Floyd noise, you know? So like mm-hmm. I'll use elements of that into like reverbs, and I'll put all this stuff like on a Space Virus album, and nobody really knows where it came from, you know? Like, oh, what, what plug-in was that? Well, it's not really a plug-in, you know? It's like... 30 different things so like <laughs> there's these cool elements that are like you you would think are kind of like throwaway things that are like i'll find them at goodwill or salvation army or you know people will bring them to me and say can you can do anything with this one or is it junk you know like a lot of them you, you won't know till you open it up like you open it up and it'll have this big black blob of glue that they'll put over the ic chip and you can't do anything with it to try and get that off there you'll end up destroying it Oh man! So there's certain things you can't circuit bend. So it's kind of this adventure of like, kind of like when I went to Paisley Park and I heard that crazy thing. I was like, wow, I've never heard that before. And the fact that that's still around the corner somewhere for me is like, as an artist, is like, yes, that's that's where we're going. You know, like the next planet to conquer. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like to even think that. Uh, I don't know. If, like first off, like there's companies out there that are trying to keep people from doing goofy stuff like circuit bending their stuff, and I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah, know that's why that would even. Want, yeah, I don't even know <laughs> why it would be a thing, but it apparently is a thing. So, um, you know, and that's the other thing. I was like, I've always been intrigued by some of that um, electrical noise music because there's something fun about it, and I wish well, I and like Slipknot used that really heavily in the early days. Too, not many people realize. Like clown was a circuit bender, and you know, just that there's a history there. It's a very Iowan history, you know, very cool lineage that people just don't, they just don't even realize. Yeah, and perhaps I, I don't know what it is that intrigues me about it, but it's it's just something fun. Just watching people um, twist knobs and change the way sounds come out uh, a speaker is is pretty intriguing to me. I think one of the crazier things I saw was a guy playing guitar and somebody else was playing um all of the effects and that was like there was two people playing one was playing a guitar and the other guy had all these effects in front of him and he like somehow made it sound like crazier music by just turning on and off all these right effects at the right times and that would kind of blew me away wow yeah you know i mean yeah there was a there was a, a lot of groups like hawkwind way back when that started out with these really weird sounds on stage that uh nobody could identify and they called it space rock all right, and it just it kind of turned into its own genre, and that's where Lemmy got his start before he was in Motorhead. Oh, really? Yeah, it's this crazy old group called Hawkwind. They had uh, 
Space Ritual was one of their like live albums. And you can just hear this stuff happening live. And it's like the guy's reading the synthesizer manual as he's going with his big old Moog thing and plugging things in. And you're just like hearing this frequency happening um, that, you know, he didn't know what he was doing either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they were all on heavy amounts of LSD and other substances. So it was like uh, a real cacophony of sounds. And it's got Lemmy in the middle of all of it, it's like singing and playing bass, all distorted and cool. And you're just like, wow, the, there's stuff that's been done that I've never heard before, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's like 50 years old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I'm not like the best educated music. I know a lot of music stuff, but I guess I didn't know that. So I'm going to be looking that up as well, for sure. And that's pretty wild. So like, I remember, I want to say maybe you posted a picture of it, but it was some guy standing in front of like one of the original Moog devices. And it was like, just stacks and stacks of like little connections you could like connect together and run different circuits through and things like that. Um, right. Yeah, I mean that's just intriguing altogether. Honestly, I just can't believe that that's something that somebody would. I, I I don't know how somebody would get involved with all of the bending circuits and decide what they would do, but I don't know. That's right. one of, one of the yeah. things. Is the, or, or or why you know like there's not a lot of practicality anymore with that. Like there's so many great plugins from Native Instruments and people that are like, you plug in, you put your MIDI thing on, and then you you get this great sound like you would have probably taken three hours to develop with one of these other devices yeah so it's kind of like a it, it's a lot like a tube amp you know it's like there's certain things though that you just don't get out of native instruments you don't get out of these plugins that are 64-bit perfection uh that these analog devices for whatever reason when they get hot and go out of tune and the solder joint fell apart you know there's so many things that goes wrong with these old keyboards yeah, just from the the amount of maintenance that it takes to keep them running, you're you're inherently always fighting something. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, that is one of the quests for tone, I guess. Is like usually, uh, the deeper you dive into it, the more money you're going to spend, even even if it's just on upkeep. But it's it's going to be a thing that happens. But sometimes, I mean, even people that don't consider themselves tone snobs can definitely pick out the differences between the two it just comes down to preference i think well yeah i mean you listen to those first pink floyd albums like metal and like like way before on the run and all those cool things were happening you know before they, they really had a, a tact for how to use synthesizer in rock and roll yeah there's a whole point of like see sally run or i can't remember there's a lot of really early sid barrett albums that Everybody just blinks right past. They're like, what? I thought you said Dark Side of the Moon. Pink Floyd? No? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> totally just goes to this whole other explanation. I'm like, yeah, there, there was albums way before that, you know, that uh, they, they just get shrugged, you know. Um, I, I really love some of those different tones on animals, too, which is later stuff. And uh, they feel like they kind of came back to that sensibility. Um. Three Pigs has like a bunch of cowbell in it. And you're like, what? Cowbell in a Pink Floyd song? Yeah. You know, like you don't always identify these things sonically with what they are. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the crazy thing because like back then they didn't really have what we have today where you could just, like you said, nowadays you could just take a keyboard, plug it into a MIDI thing that goes into a computer, dial up some tones on the computer that have already been 
somebody else has already perfected. You could buy them from somebody. And, just, and it, it just seems like I'm putting ketchup on somebody else's hot dogs. You know, I didn't make any of this. <laughs> yeah, true. That's true. And that's like the wild thing about back then is they actually had to go through and blend sounds together to find the one that was the one that defined them the best, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, Judas Priest used, uh, silverware in, uh, metal gods on the end. That big clunking marching sound is just a bunch of hotel silverware being bashed on a case <laughs> next to a microphone and then oh they took an old guitar cord and they would whip it on the flight case as hard as they could and then they would put that on a reverb and it would sound like a big whip you know so they would do all these like s&m odd noises out of like <laughs> mundane things and i think that's when you're being the most creative as an artist you're not just sitting back and letting the producer decide how he's going to quantize your keyboard thing that was a native instrument. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't feel like those those are the same principles, you know. I mean, they are experimenting in two different directions, but yes. Um they're would, not the same. I would definitely have to say that. Like uh playing to a metronome uh and playing in a live environment are two different things. They're not one's not better than the other. They're just two different things, you know, and it's I think about that was like the easiest thing I have to compare any of this to where it's like, oh, this is two different styles of thing that are going two different directions. Um, not that people should yeah. ignore playing with a metronome, but like, you know, I prefer playing live a little bit better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's just an organic feel that you can't replace. Um, I, I, I think a lot of like things that Jack White does to heart, like he'll play with two different backing bands, like one's male, one's female. Sometimes he'll mix members of both. Oh, cool. Um, and he says that men and women play music differently. I could see that. <laughs> and like, you know, some some dudes just play from the gut, you know, and they kind of treat the guitar like a submachine gun and they're Rambo, you know, <laughs> they're just ready to go. <laughs> I see that all the time. And then when I play in a female fronted band, I see a lot of uh, the integrity that he's talking about from the female perspective of playing that they don't, uh, they don't attack the strings. They don't, uh, they don't mash the notes, you know, they're so much more delicate. Um, not all women are delicate flowers by any means. I mean, I've seen chicks rock harder than any dude I know. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. to make assumptions on any gender is, is, is ridiculous. But the integrity that some men lack, <laughs> I mean, that's inherent, you know, it's not, uh, it's not about gender at the end of the day either, you know, I no. mean, people are who they are. No, but I bet, you know, it's, it's got to be pretty cool being able to, you know, explore music with all different types of people. I mean, you were even talking before we did the podcast about playing in uh, an Ozzy Osbourne cover band, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, we're we're called Hack Sabbath. Uh, we, we're an Ozzy tribute band based right here in Waterloo, Iowa. Uh, you know, it's it's something that I grew up on that I love. You know, you can't take the Zach Wild out of my tone. You know. <laughs> There's certain Les Paul things that just happen when I, I grew up with a lot of the Randy Rhodes albums were like my that was my number one influence was listening to just old Ozzy live stuff, you know, and just hearing him shred for days. I could probably name every live recording that there is. I actually got in trouble one time from the Ozzy camp. I probably shouldn't comment too much on, but there was a cease and desist order. <laughs> <laughs> We'll leave but, it. At, uh, we'll leave it at that. Well, you know, you know, you know. You put something on YouTube, you shouldn't have. You know. Oh, true. Yeah. <laughs> and it's still out there. You can still hear some of these things. But uh, it was uh, a few t- t- takes of Randy Rhodes. You know, from uh, that weren't put out yet. No one had ever heard. And 
just to know that's out there and that nobody can have it. That's a, it's an odd thing, man. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. I mean, that's the benefit of recording something because it's kind of like taking a picture, you know. Um, not all the pictures are for everybody. There's some pictures people take and don't put on social media or or anything like that. And it's right. like, well, this there's, is just there's privacy for us. there, you know. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess I could see that where like an artist would want to have that, you know availability like maybe they make something that's not necessarily in their normal wheelhouse that they're known for and they don't want to compromise the integrity that they've created with fans based on what they think they are you know or something like that yeah it's similar to what, what, I, what i noticed at paisley park they were so like phones in cases that are made of lead that can't transmit that are turned off you know and like all these just blankets over blankets over blankets of things that uh these big stars do all the time that we don't get to know about and i i just find it fascinating like there was a recent uh finding of phoenix arizona footage uh that's linked to have exist but no one can see it of randy rhodes playing live like oh, pro wow. shot and uh there's a lot of these things that have like started to leak in the time of you know uh higher quality internets and things that have been sitting in closets with disenfranchised fans for years that you know, you don't really hear about, you don't, you don't get that in your uh, Rolling Stone, usually, you know, some big leak like that. Now it seems like it comes in the form of a YouTube video or some of anonymous content, you know? Yeah. I mean, I remember that growing up trying to get like all of the Maiden, Iron Maiden B-side stuff, you know, and trying to find copies of everything on CD or some form or another. And they're like almost impossible to find. And, and like you said, nowadays, you, yeah. can, you can almost just I, go I to YouTube. I still have a lot of those VHS. <laughs> <laughs> and nowadays, you can just go to YouTube and find most of most things, you know. If not 98% of it. Is, yeah, it's all backed up to YouTube. And it looks better than yours. You're yeah, like, what? That's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> You know, and that's that's a beneficial, but it's also kind of not because these bands don't get to capitalize on some of their older material or, or some of their B-side stuff or stuff that was only on VHS and things like yeah, that. Yeah, but, you but, know, I, I try to live back in 1994 sometimes like that, though. I like to feel like you first discovered something, you know, that, uh, I don't know, it's just got that caveman frozen in ice vibe, you know, that you really yeah. want to be able to put put hands on something again uh, and kind of get a relive that first time that you heard that those albums you grew up with you know i i, I can't can't tell you how many times that like blizzard of oz was just such a amazing first listen you know yeah and just to get that feeling again for 10 minutes it's it's, it's kind of cool you know i think that's the only time i've ever had any legal problems with the osbournes <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it was man. actually it wasn't even the osborne camp it was bob daisley's camp uh but, you know, it was just a real simple YouTube cease and desist. It wasn't personal. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't say much more. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Uh, you know, and that's that's one of those crazy things. Like, I've, also, I've always thought, you know, I don't know you personally that well. This is the most we've sat down and talked other than a couple times after a show. But, uh, like, you know, I've always noticed that you've had such an appreciation, like a deep, deep appreciation for music. And it's it's one of those things that's very apparent. Uh, just being, you know, like your Facebook friend and seeing some of the things you post, it's it's very apparent that music is something you care about. And I mean, even to the point where you give guitar lessons uh, in some form or another, is that correct? Yeah, I've been uh, I've been given lessons here uh, recently. I opened up my own studio in Cedar Rapids. Uh, I've just decided, you know, that after a while, you know, it was it was cool to be able to go all these places and record all the time. But I, I needed those tools at home. 
And uh, this was a way I could coincide some of the economics with that. You know, that there's a certain cost associated with starting any business. But I think what you, you need to do at the end of the day is just sit down and, you know, be able to learn again and be able to teach again. Because you, you, you listen and you receive information differently when you're working with a student than you would if you were just to tackle this on your own. Oh, yeah. And that's a reward that, like, not many people get to really be, you know, that's something that Randy Rhodes also did a lot of. He was a, a guitar teacher in Pasadena, California, and he had, you know, hundreds of students. Oh, wow. And that's why he got so good so fast. Because if you listen to some of the Quiet Riot stuff, you can almost, like, see the building blocks in place. And it's so cool uh, to be able to give back to people and not be stuck, you know, writing something that you've already written. I see a lot of groups that, you know, I'm not going to bash any one artist, but that there are some of these legacy groups that you see that from like the hair metal perspective that have released, you know, four or five of the same album in a row. Uh, and yeah, yeah, definitely. If not worse than that, you know, and ripping each other off and just all the, the tangibilities there that come with that. I feel like... Um, yeah, I, I can teach people to, to, to play some of that style of music, but if I can teach them what that guitar player was influenced from, like what George Lynch, like George Lynch had such a cool sound too. Like Randy was very individualized, and he actually taught at the Musonia where Rhodes had taught after uh, Randy went out on the road. Oh, cool! And then he, and then George Lynch was going to end up trying out uh, for Ozzy's band, and Jakey e. Lee got the ticket instead. Oh, so there's it's been this weird kind of like thing that was that was going on back then that I was I was always kind of like Eddie Van Halen talked to the same luthier you know that helped George make his guitars that ended up making that polka dot V so like these three really good shredders were all in the same circle together you know and like what if they had a place where they, they could go and take lessons or something you know or they had a way to communicate more back then you know like that would have been such a cool time for rock and roll anyway but it was it was like it would have been a lot cooler if they would have been able to like sit at some dojo and rocked out together you know or maybe there would have been too many egos for them to do that but it's cool nonetheless to be able to like kind of do that in a place so i i when my students come over we'll pick a style or two or three and we'll kind of like why is this guitar player the way that they are mm -hmm. or you know what makes angus young angus young you know those power chords the sg Yep. And the pentatonics, you know, those, those, like, you'll pick out something like that and just be able to just kind of turn technique into, a, you know, just more of like a tangible thing. It's not such a forbidden throne of rock and roll at that point, you know? Yeah. I totally get the concept you're coming after. Cause, like, when I first started learning guitar, the internet was barely a tool that could be used um, to learn guitar. I mean, there were tabs to an extent, but videos weren't really on there. And, there wasn't too right. much of an explanation. I felt like there was this gatekeeper effect, like somebody was keeping keeping the information from you. Like they had to learn the hard way. Now you've got to learn the hard way, you know. And yeah, there's a lot of that. And any way that we can get past that is is you know a good way. And that's kind of one of the things I like to try to do, especially with guitar. It's like, well, I grew up in a small town. There's no guitar teachers really around uh, in my town specifically. So I, you know, I was like, well, I'll give it a shot, you know, and I taught a handful of people how to play guitar and, um, you know, some people took it and ran and other people have not. And I haven't given very many lessons this year due to the, you know, pandemic, but, um, 
it's one of those things I thought, you know, if there's any way I can give back at all, I, I'd love to, you know, just to inspire or something. Yeah, and I, I still do that for fans and students and people. I don't think that many people really know that I'm doing it right now. You know, it's, it's kind of a word of mouth situation because I, I don't make flyers and posters and put it all over town because, you know, this is a crisis and we can't really avert that. <laughs> but, you know, in the next couple of years, I think things will turn around and we can get back to normal. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> well, I think we've covered most stuff. Uh, the only the only thing I don't know, did we d- discuss uh, Brotherhood of Mudcat? Yeah, there's a, there's a handful of other groups I play in. Yeah, yeah, there's uh, Brotherhood of the Mudcat, there's Wicked Wizards, there's uh, Pretty Dynamite, we're a cover band. Uh, you know, I, I play with many different hats at all times because I just don't like the liability of sitting around or one person gets ill or can't tour or this or that, you know, I I've been in many, many, many boats before where it's either sink or swim and something doesn't go right. And you just have to make amends for that. I think creatively though, I, I I've been able to not stifle any of the process or progress of any of these bands. I've just been able to kind of try new things, you know? And yeah. I think everybody that's in those groups takes it that way. That's I cool. love having them around, you know? Yeah, I mean that's that's really neat that you have the ability to at least add your talents to somebody else's talents and and not impede any of their talents by being there. But yeah, I think Mudcat we've done the most. We played with uh, quite a few artists and names and places. You know, we've gotten down to Iowa City many times. Uh, gotten a chance to open up for people I never thought we would like Power Man Five Thousand. Oh, cool! I mean, just the drop list of like necromantics and a couple of these other really cool artists that i grew up maybe listening to you know that it's a different vibe uh hellstar was one um we were almost with havoc and uh, a couple of those other shows fell through i think and then we've gotten there's a couple of times you know just uh where mudcat and spacefire was would play a gig with frontal assault which is all related to Hall Records, which is where we're all on this same little record label together that mm-hmm. we've kind of made in, in our backyards. <laughs> That's and, pretty uh, sweet. My friend Bill Hall started it. Yeah, yeah, he's the bass player and Space Virus as well. Oh, sweet. That's really cool. So it's, it's all kind of related to each other in some bizarre way. Dude, we've I... been on a couple of different little radio stations around here too with Mudcat and Space Virus got a little airplay. So that, that was kind of rewarding at the end of all this you know that it's not just sitting on a computer somewhere at least somebody got to hear it for a minute if they were tuning in (laughs) yeah yeah no kidding i mean getting radio plays is is really fun even in today's age where you know it might not quote unquote mean as much as it used to quote you know but it's still it still does mtv days but it still feels like a a little bit of a trophy at the end of of all this you know that you're able to put something out yeah absolutely um you know, it's really cool that you got all this stuff going on. I mean, you're definitely busier than I had initially thought you were musically. Uh, not that I didn't think you were busy. I already thought you had plenty on your plate, but it seems like you've got even more on your plate than I knew about. It's pretty wild. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's a weird time, you know, uh, with the way the internet can uh, streamline things, too. I mean, uh, it's easier to get as busy as you want. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, uh, I'll snag some links from you here so I can put them in the description section uh, when everybody's done with the podcast. They can scroll down and find all of your good stuff down there. 
And uh, yeah, hopefully I can make the computers work again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, don't go away. I'm going to end the recording. But uh, thanks for joining me, man. Really, man. It was nice talking with you, and I hope all of our listeners uh, had a good time. <laughs> heck, heck yeah. Thanks, man. See you soon. And see you soon indeed. If you guys need any more information other than what we gave you in the podcast here about the rumors going on tour, I strongly suggest you follow the rumors on any other social media. The, there's plenty of it down below in the description section. If you're looking for them on Facebook, it's at the Rumors Band 13, the number 13. Uh, they're pretty easy to find. Just look for the rumors. If you search for the rumors on Google, it, it's going to come up with plenty of stuff as well. But it's all down below in the description section. Like I said, if you need any more info, uh, information on that, what's going on as far as venues or locations or the tour or any more information at all on that, go to their social media and check it out. That's going to be the official place to find any of that information. So good luck to those guys on their upcoming tour dates that they have scheduled. And uh, I got to say a huge shout out to Stu for taking some time out of his evening to sit down and talk with me. You know, as busy as he is, you know, it's probably hard to pry him away from the music. You know, he plays so much all the time. It's, it's uh, pretty cool. It's cool to see that somebody can add that much, you know, talent and thought process to as many different projects as he does and uh, still kind of hold it all together I know it was kind of difficult for me for a while I was doing two bands and I was uh, you know rehearsing for like a couple one-off gigs that I was doing as well and and just attending jam nights and things and it's it's a lot to keep a handle on but I, you know what if you're if you're dedicated and that's the important thing then uh, it's gonna be the important thing so hats off to him for being able to do it it's a, it's a tough feat to accomplish uh, you know, like I said, if you want to check out any of his information down below, any of the bands that he's in, is uh, all that information is going to be down below, or as much of it as I could could uh, collect and and put down there. I don't know how much text limitations I'm going to have depending on where I'm posting this, but uh, I'll post them down in the description sections wherever you're listening to this. And uh, hey, thanks again. I really appreciate Stu sitting down talking with me, and I, I appreciate all you guys sitting down listening to this. So if you guys need anything more Audible Farm, go to audiblefarm.com. There is a link to our shop there. If you want to, you know, support us in some way, we, you can buy a T-shirt or some stickers or something. And uh, hey, hit me up. I'll ship them to you. You can buy them right there through the shop, and it'll be nice and easy. Otherwise, just go to shop.audiblefarm.com. You will find all of the uh, shop stuff there as well. So check it out. Really appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate Couchtown Coffee sitting down, you know, doing another, doing another sponsorship on another episode. Those guys have been running hard with us for a long time. It's definitely my favorite coffee. If I have to admit it, I will. I ran out of Couchtown recently, and I've been drinking not Couchtown, and it's not awesome. So, uh, hey, check out Couchtown Coffee. Uh, been supporting us forever, and I, uh, I love what they've got going on there. So, hey, check it out, and also check out all Stu's links and... Uh, now I'm gonna check out. So hey, thanks for joining me. Shout out to shout out again to Stu. Woo! And uh, we'll check you later. Peace.